This episode of the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast is brought to you by Archipelago Productions' three-part miniseries, Devout and Out. The show follows three LGBTQ individuals who have chosen to become or remain leaders in their respective churches. I've watched through this series twice, and it is easily one of the best series I've seen all year. It's smart, thought-provoking, conversation-launching, funny, heartwarming, and is going to show you a side of Canada you have never seen before. You can watch Devout and Out in Canada on the CBC Gem app or elsewhere in the world on YouTube. Enjoy. After all, there is nothing real outside our perception of reality, is there? If you wish to avoid prosecution, I would advise that you comply with our language laws. This is the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. Hey there, and welcome to the third anniversary edition of the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. I'm your co-host today, Becky Shrimpton, and with me once again and still is Mr. Cameron Maitland. Hey, dude, how you yeah. doing? Hey, good. How are you? Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. Three whole years. Did you think we'd be doing this? Uh, No, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> and also, the last anniversary was like, wow. And the, then this one is like, ah, it feels like we've been doing it for, for like five years. And that's been great. And um, I mean, I always enjoy discovering new films. And this is definitely a new film for me. And if mm-hmm. uh, users will remember, we went all the way back. Back and watched every Canadian giant rat movie for each of our yeah. anniversaries. We are now out of Canadian giant rat movies. Yeah, unless unless any person finds one and sends it to us. Yes. <laughs> I think we've <laughs> We think we've watched them all. Yeah, I, I would say I must be, and you must be, within the top five experts in Canadian giant rap movies in the world at this point. Something tells me that somebody worked on all of those movies, though. Like, there's got to be a consistent person. <laughs> there must be. Well, they were made within a similar time span. But yeah. we wanted to stick within the giant function of the giant mm-hmm. rap movie, because that's really what's fun about it. And uh, who better... To help us talk about things that are giant, then our very first and repeated guest, Mr. Mark Junip, is with us. Hey, Mark. Hey, Becky. Hey, Cam. It's hey. Uh, really great to be back again for another anniversary episode. <laughs> <laughs> We're glad you're so into it. Like, had we picked a lesser first guest, they'd be like, no, nah, guys, guys, I'm out. But no, yeah. you are down. We are into this. You picked a movie today that I was shocked to find out is not only on YouTube, but is also on Amazon Prime. Is it on Amazon Prime? Oh, oh yeah. wow. Speak- and the, the quality on the Amazon Prime one is like exponentially better, obviously. Um, <laughs> but the uh, the YouTube one is available for your viewing pleasure. It's just not a great quality copy and uh, really the special effects are something you're going to want to see in full HD absolutely <laughs> All right. what movie did you pick Mark and for the love of God why uh, the one I want to talk about I think for a while because I believe I mentioned it on past uh, episodes of this yeah. is Yeti Giant of the 20th Century okay now how is it actually pronounced because I've heard it pronounced as Yeti <laughs> and Yeti <laughs> so uh, I- no consistent pronunciation. Yeah, like I, I just stick with the general use of Yeti, but uh, in the movie, it's Yeti. And it's, uh, oh, it's catchy. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. All right, so let's go through the usual. Why did you pick this movie? What is this movie about? You know, the, the drill. Uh, well, I picked this movie because it's it's actually been a part of my life more than I ever expected it to be. <laughs> because I first found out about it at a special screening uh, hosted by Rue Morgue at TIFF. Uh, and that was when they were showing all sorts of like, and they still do show, um, 
fun in different horror movies. And when I saw it appear on the, a Facebook event, I just had to go because I had to know what it was. And I was just blown away by like how ridiculous it is and how very Toronto and Canadian it is. Like it, I had never heard of it until uh, I guess it was like three or four years ago. And I, I've never forgotten it since. And I always want to tell more people about Yeti to go out and see it because it is something else. Okay, so what is this movie about? It is about uh, a very cartoonish uh, boss guy named Honeycut who hires his scientist friend to check out this uh, dig way up in the north and he wants to capitalize and use the Yeti to sell merchandise and make tons of money off of it. In a somewhat King Kong style fashion, but you know, without uh, the class, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or the budget, or the actors that speak English, or oh, without everything. <laughs> <laughs> All right, where do we even want to start with this one, Mark? As our guest, what do you want to start with? Uh, well, I want to just start off with uh, maybe the the characters themselves and the Yeti because. Um, my, my two favorite characters is uh, the boss man, Morgan Honeycutt, uh, because he's so cartoonish as a boss. Yeah. Uh, he calls scientists brain boxes. <laughs> he, like, he commit when he does work, he's too busy doing other work to pay attention. And uh, whenever, like, some emotion strikes him, he goes 120% into it. Like, when he hears bad news, oh, he's devastated. And his entrance is uh, amazing, too, because the... After, like, stock footage of, like, glaciers collapsing, it's just this very Canadian man in his, like, backyard, and he descends from the sky on a crane in a very fancy chair to talk to him. <laughs> I aspire to one day be so rich that I have a plush throne that is just generally craned about by a helicopter, and I'm able to, like, <laughs> signal with them through my own hand language of when they should go up, drop me, release me. I, they just This seems like the pinnacle of, of richness. And something that I'm fascinated about with this film is that he's not the bad guy like you yeah. kind of set him up to be so but he's really like this jack blackian means for the best you know he's gonna profit off the 20th century giant yeti man yeah but there's no nastiness to him there's no there's exploitation but there's no viciousness whereas in like king kong everybody's evil and it's corporations that are bad and this isn't quite the same thing <laughs> yeah it's uh it's, I guess, a twist, something uh, unique maybe to it. I haven't seen any uh, other, I can't recall any other bosses who are like uh, seemingly evil, but then are just, no, they just want to exploit their friends and make money, <laughs> make profits. Oh, you know what I think he is? And I could be wrong. I think he's Richie Rich grown up. Oh, <laughs> sure. that's it. Yeah. He's so like joyous and over the top like he has no cares in the world just other than himself yes and okay <laughs> does he love those children i can't figure out because there's grandkids right yeah, yeah like a kind of jack hammond or uh, not jack uh, <laughs> richard hammond for jurassic park yeah. whatever yeah. his name was yeah he brought his grandkids in and caused chaos maybe this maybe this was a huge influence for Jurassic Park you don't know yeah exactly Michael Crichton's favorite movie <laughs> yeah <laughs> I would not put that past him Cameron 
This was made in 1977, so you never know. Yeah, true, it's, true. Okay, and then the other thing I'm confused about, I mean, there's many things I'm confused about, but the the um, granddaughter, whose actual name is Antonella Interlenghi, but she is billed <laughs> for some reason as Phoenix Grant, as her English name, um, <laughs> she is, okay, how old is that character meant to be? Because they keep uh, referring to her as uh, a child. No. <laughs> I, I can tell you how old uh, a co-worker of mine believes because I uh, I found out in my office that uh, one of the guys, this was one of the first movies he worked on, so he <laughs> gave me all sorts of little <laughs> stories. And uh, he believes that the the actual age of the actress is like 16 or something like that. Like she, she was very much like a late teen kid. The movie doesn't really treat it like that at times. <laughs> no, no, it sort of bounces back and forth because there's times they refer to her as, as a child, and then sometimes she's an adult, and you're like, what is like? Okay, she's old enough to like make these sexual innuendos and commentaries towards. It's a very strange, but it's also Italian, so hey, yeah, you know, cultural <laughs> she's, differences. She's of age Italian. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, Mark, I got to ask you this. This is obviously we've talked about the Italian element of this. this is an Italian film, Italian filmmakers, but with a Canadian co-production twist, which is why we're doing it on the show. And it's all mm-hmm. shot in Toronto. How did this end up in Toronto? Do you know any of this backstory about why Toronto, you know, the entertainment uh, capital of the world? Not really. Like, I've been trying to find, like, more information about it. Like, it, like I'm assuming it's half of, like, a like tax it must be something of a tax shelter movie and co-production money off of it but because the co-worker of mine he just worked for panavision and helped like deliver lights and stuff to this but got to witness all sorts of things uh but like i don't know who helped set it up because even in the credits it's mostly italian credits but it's 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 set in Toronto. There's the CN Tower and there's all sorts of destruction around City Hall. <laughs> yeah. Is it weird to you guys that even though the CN Tower is there, you don't have a King Kong moment on the CN Tower? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You just have uh, the, what is it? The Sheraton Wall Center. Yep. Yeah. Uh, hotel downtown that it, I maybe at the time it was one of the tall buildings, but it's not a hugely tall building <laughs> but it is expertly used like i've mm-hmm. never seen uh the sheridan hotel be used in such a dramatic fashion as Yeti. no no i think i think they go there for a drink in uh, the silent partner but that's about it oh. <laughs> amazing here's my question for you guys why toronto then like that wasn't part of the CanCon requirement so i'm wondering why they bothered to set it there at all when they could have done new york or chicago or was this just a ploy because this came out two years after the dino de laurentis um movie and they were suing the copiers left and right including uh this is the guys who did ape from south korea (laughs) they got sued so hard that in their trailer they actually have uh the words uh this is not a not to be mistaken for king kong and you're just like, oh man, I think they got sued for almost $4 million, something like that. It must be like a chasing the trend thing, like, because uh, there's like, there's a bunch of Italian knockoff movies, like, uh, like knockoff shark movies that are when Jaws was popular, sure. or like I have one that's called Terminator 2, where it's this knockoff half Terminator and Terminator half alien, I think it is. So, and like I have some other uh, Mad Max knockoff Italian movies. So I think it's just in keeping where these studios are just chasing the trends of the time and somebody 
saw, I guess, the King Kong movie at the time and said, well, we can do better. Because like, yeah. it does feel like they're genuinely trying in this. Am I wrong? Like, those special effects they're doing, although they are not good, would have cost <laughs> a lot of money. And nobody oh, totally. seems to be phoning this in. Yeah, no, it seems legit. It is meant to be Toronto. This film is set in Canada, which is also unusual. Like, that's that's not them necessarily being cheap like everything is canada every building they mention is a building in toronto the rcmp are fighting the the, the yeti i don't know <laughs> not <It's>, well <laughs> no, yeah. no. like it, i think it must be just a stylistic choice then i guess like and so it's not like oh it's not just a u.s city maybe if they said it was canada that's more exotic to sell to people in the states perhaps Maybe. Yeah. Huh. And I mean, it's it's north. Like, it's easier to say that we're by a giant frozen Yeti, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Like, pretty close by, because they have yeah. to fly that Yeti in from the north down to Toronto. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> this episode of the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast is brought to you by Archipelago Productions. For over 15 years, the team at Archipelago have been making groundbreaking and award-winning films, television, and corporate video. For brands like Google, Netflix, Etsy, Time Magazine, and the University of Toronto. Visit archipelagoproductions.ca to find out how they can help you elevate and execute your next video project. Now, from what I understand, this got a theatrical release in uh, a bunch of European countries. It was released in Turkey and Australia in 1979. Mm. So, unfortunately, I am not the connoisseur of exploitation films that I know both of you are. Um, (laughs) What is the point of an exploitation film? Who actually goes to see these movies? And how do the genres sort of start? Oh, I don't know. I I mean, to me, it's like it's just to make money, basically. That's That's the general point of it for Uh, But I also think that the Italians did have a weird, like, craftsmanship. They kind of cared. The directors always think that they're making a good movie. That's kind of a thing. I don't know if you're familiar with the whole Troll 2 thing, but that guy to this day is, like, frustrated by the popularity of Troll 2 because he thinks it's a good movie. He, like, doesn't, he doesn't get that it's bad. So there is something to that. But, I mean, in the U.S., at least, the exploitation movies existed just to make money. Like, yeah. it's just a quick turnaround dollar thing. Like Roger Corman, he pumped out so many different, like, B-movies. Yeah. And, uh, like, Herschel Gordon Lewis with, like, uh, Blood Feast and, uh, what was it, 10,000 Maniacs? It's, yeah. yeah, movies that can be made on the cheap and just the public wants that. And then if they get sick of the violence, well, we'll just chase the next trend with uh, King Kong, I guess, at this time. And Yeah. Uh, yeah, like, I, one movie I still haven't seen that I'd like to is, like, Turkish Star Wars. They're just mm. <laughs> some, like, very bizarre take on it with uh, that just steals a bunch of clips from it. I think it's just chasing trends to make money and finding very passionate directors who want to try to bring it to life, no matter the cost or lack of cost. <laughs> now, does this sit in sort of like a, like we have the modern mockbuster, like the whole asylum mm. thing? Does this, would this sit in the same vein as that? I don't think so, because I don't think they try as hard with the asylum ones. That's kind of the frustrating thing about the, the asylum movies. I'm sure somebody cares because it's like pretty it's it's just too much of a commitment to make a movie with no one caring. Mm. But I, I think the frustrating thing a lot of people I know who like exploitation movies find with those asylum ones is it's just too fast. You know, it's kind of the same as like if you've seen like Papatopoulos, like those weird they're, they're really cheap boob movies like <laughs> that they shoot <laughs> over a weekend. There, There's just no, no fun in it. 
you know like like you're saying this one has a high budget people are trying it has a weird script but i think a lot of those asylum ones they're just turning them around so fast that they don't even have like an interesting idea i think corman looked for good filmmakers who can do what he wants for cheap whereas i think asylum is mostly concerned about people who can crank something out quickly yeah, get that one parent who will rent like they think they're renting Transformers, but it's Transmorphers or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Trick the audience. <laughs> there was one copy left. I got it. But then would, yeah. my question is, would this, because this did get a theatrical release in other countries, would people yeah. have mistaken this for something like King Kong? Or would they have just been like, oh, I want to go see a giant thing eating thing movie? A part of what I think is there just wasn't the choice back in the day, right? Like. If you're driving or whatever chooses to show this, you just go to it because it's all there is. You know, people would have seen the what, the 76 King Kong. So I think people would still be kind of interested to see this. And because this, if this came out in 77, I think they just want to, yeah, like a quick turnaround. And while people still cared about it, try to make it like we don't have like the Internet where it's like something is popular and instant and it's gone. Like back then it would be, I don't know, I think interest would hold longer on different subjects. So totally. I, yeah, so I think like uh somebody would see, "Oh, look, another giant ape movie." That would probably be enough to put uh, some uh, butts in seats. <laughs> now, what tilts this one into the so bad it's good category? Like what makes this film joyous and fun? I think personally it's the Yeti himself that uh I think his name's like Mimo Grau or something like that. Uh, yeah, uh, I've got it. Mimo Crow. That's it. Like it, it, it's not. It's barely a yeti. It's just a guy and covered in a lot of fur, kind of poorly at times. <laughs> in a uh, Tina Turner wig. Yes, yeah, in a giant Tina Turner wig. And, like he screams like an elephant. He's got a strange sound design. He can really emote. Like if he if he is feeling love, he shows it on his face as clear as day. <laughs> the fact maybe I think it's also a combination of. Uh, the man in the bad Yeti suit, as well as having giant feet and hands to help try to sell how big he is, makes him all the more, like, hilarious and interesting. It's one of those, like, incredible shrinking and growing dudes, because, like, his his height never stays the same. It's like Godzilla, right? Yeah, um, exactly. Where it depends, yeah, it totally depends on what they need him to do in that moment, how big he is. Because, like, when he snaps the guy or, like, strong uh, strangles the guy with his feet, just a minute <laughs> yeah. ago, he was the size of a building. And you're like, hold on yeah. a minute. <laughs> this yeah. Is, yeah. Well, first he was, he was crushed him with his foot but then uh, he let off thinking that oh the guy thought he was safe then he choked him with two toes yes <laughs> yeah i don't see harry from harry and the hendersons doing that anytime soon no <laughs> no but he was in danger and these are the bad guys and there's a lassie reference apparently yeah, yeah. apparently this was a thing in italian films though they love to put these lovable dogs and apparently that really sold a lot in italy Oh, well, it, was, really? it was a big thing at the time, too, because they just had Lassie had just finished, if you can imagine. <laughs> and uh, Benji was around, too, which was, you know, Benji got into all sorts of situations. <laughs> was Benji so. like the more hardcore Lassie? Benji was. Benji was from the streets. Benji got into like crime trouble. Oh, wow. <laughs> Which, what about Rin Tin Tin? What was his deal? I, I think Rin Tin Tin's a cop. What? <laughs> I've, I've never, I've never seen Rin Tin Tin, but I thought he was a bit of a like a like a police dog. Huh. Uh, isn't he always just like he's there on the adventures, and sometimes he'll help out? Isn't that 
pretty much like yeah, I'm looking it's not it like up. he's solo adventuring too much. The the dog of Tintin, right? Uh, no, no, sure. wait, that's Snowy. Never mind. Sorry, I'm thinking Snowy. Yes, no, Rin, Rin, Rin Tintin was a was also a Scotty, but he was a black Scotty. I don't oh, know. Oh no, he's, he's right. a, Rin, Rin Tintin is a uh, German Shepherd. I German think. Shepherd? Yeah, I he's a big. We're mixing our dogs. Clearly, it's just they're big, they're smart. They, the Italians love them going to rescue people. So that's good. And then you have, yeah. like, there's just so many plot lines going on here and things that don't necessarily get resolved. So, like, I love the way they handle the exposition in that my brother went mute in the same plane accident that killed both of my parents. And you're like, hold on, what? <laughs> so Herbie, which it's unfortunate we don't have any more Herbies these days as children. Mm. Um, it's a very out of fashion name. Mm -hmm. He's got a whole thing going on with the dog. And you think at the end, because it's a traumatic thing that he's not able to speak, that maybe he'll speak at the end? Nope. Kid never no. speaks. So <laughs> it's weird how they set up these payoff things that never pay off in like fairy tale world that this is where everything ends well. Like the monster yeah. survives. He gets to go live in the mountains. Everybody's learned something about love. Uh, the evil corporate guys are now dead. The ones with the sunglasses, the goons, <laughs> you know, it's weird. Yeah. And even like the ending, like when I rewatched it uh, this past weekend, you think it would end on like an emotional note with the Yeti. But no, no, no. They say, no, Yeti, just go away in the mountains and then the dog shows up and it's like a long scene of yeah. like the boy reuniting with a dog and that's your emotional payoff that's yeah. what makes it so bizarre but it's oh, like yeah. a romantic moment too i'm like who is having sex in this movie you know what i mean like you've got <laughs> yeah. so many different weird references of things that are happening i don't i don't even know i also oh. love Right at the end, it's revealed that the they don't know the sex of the Yeti. But she's like, get out of here, boy or girl. Yeah. Like, what? <laughs> like, the Yeti is obviously horny for the girl. Like, what? Oh, there's that one scene, too, where, like, the Yeti has the girl. And, uh, like, they I can't believe they actually built uh, a somewhat giant... Uh, nipple for this uh the girl oh, like strokes the yeti's chest and they built this thing for the the nipple of the yeti to get erect and aroused by it like i don't know why they thought that was a good idea it just comes off super creepy yeah. and i also forgot that when they she strokes the yeti's chest and she pulls her hand away the hair comes off of his <laughs> chest <laughs> it's the attention to detail that must that scene must have frightened so and confused so many children <laughs> being like what yeah. is that like it's weird it's, it's definitely what it is famous if this movie is famous for anything it is the yeti's nipples getting hard <laughs> <laughs> oh man okay i got another question for you guys would you take this one over food of the gods 2 which one is the funner more bizarre film uh, I think I would take Yeti over Food of the Gods, but I'd say Food of the Gods is better paced than Yeti. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot. I, maybe because this was just my second time seeing it, but I forgot how many long stretches of boring there are. And yeah. I forgot how, like, the climax of the movie is kind of in the middle of the movie. <laughs> I definitely <laughs> yeah. thought it ended with the Sheraton Center, not, like, that that was partway through. Definitely Food of the Gods is, like, a more forward driving movie <laughs> and i don't know i do uh, yeah i guess yeti has more weird things throughout because food of the gods really peaks are i guess there's the the pool is awesome in food of the gods but that yeah. kid the kid telling the lady to fuck off is like that's the meme from food of the gods and that's like two minutes in <laughs> 
Yeah, there's a lot of moments I thought you could really meme out of Yeti as well. Like mm-hmm. when uh, Honeycut finds out that his best friend scientist dies, it's like a, a minute of him just slowly realizing and pulling away of how sad he is. Oh, <laughs> yeah, no. yeah. Uh, my personal favorite is, don't you know cannibals are always good to their victims before they eat them? <laughs> like, <laughs> are they? Also, she keeps saying that the Yeti is a human being. And I'm like, no, that's not the definition of human. That's a little like sentient, intelligent. You can say all those things, but not human. Yeah. She's not bright. No, no, <laughs> no she's not bright. I just also don't know why, why she's there. Like what, what yeah. she's supposed to be doing. Like the rationalization for some stuff. It's like, okay, so you have a whole team of scientists that are dealing with this thing. And yet she's the one they send up to work the heavily equipment in the helicopter to push the <laughs> oh, buttons. Oh, yeah, yeah. But- I mean, I always love that. In I mean, you talked about Jurassic Park, which is weirdly the one that we kind of let slide. Because I guess it's an amusement <laughs> park. But the fact that there's so many of these movies where it's like a top secret government facility and two kids. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> like when, when they're introduced, there's guys shooting flamethrowers, like right beside them. Uh-huh. They yeah, should not... It is up with them taking pictures yeah. beside the yeah. flamethrower guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's hilarious. Yeah. It's just, it's so, this movie is just so weird because you do also have a lot of cultural differences, right? And it's, but it's for American audiences and it's shot in Canada like we're supposed to be Canadian. So you also have these interesting points of view of what Europeans think Canadians are. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Everyone's yeah. wearing like Mackinac's and, uh, yeah, they have like different sort of slang, like calling scientists brain boxes. Yeah. Oh, my favorite is Zowie. We do not hear Zowie nearly often <laughs> enough. Oh, man, I love it. Uh, well, we've kind of gotten through it, guys. But do is, does anyone have anything else they want to add? Mark, you said you got some great stories. What you got? Uh, yeah, so the a couple things that uh, my coworker told me. Uh, one is that uh, the director was very insistent that the uh, lead actress, Phoenix Grant, have her dress torn and would often tear at the dress. Oh, boy. Much to people being like, oh, no, that's not great. <laughs> um, Even in my the favorite... 70s. <laughs> <laughs> and my favorite story was that um, same co-worker who uh, was at the studio delivering lights, he also happened to see the Rolling Stones uh, at the studio filming something. I don't know if it was a music video but this was also like peak drug use Rolling Stones and they were kind of like pale and out of it. Keith Richards like supposedly dragging a guitar across the, across the floor <laughs> holding it by the neck. But uh, Mr. Dressup was also filming in the same studio area and uh, heard that the Rolling Stones, so he came by in like full costume and the Rolling Stones just got excited seeing him. They couldn't believe, like, oh my God, Mr. Dressup. Wow. And they went and they signed all of his stuff and uh, he just said it was strange to see the Rolling Stones get excited about Mr. Dressup. <laughs> Casey and Finnegan are trippy. I get it, 100%. Mm. <laughs> oh, and I do have one other like small personal story too about it. Uh, like at that same Rue Morgue screening, they had a, a quick prize giveaway, and uh, the theme was like, oh, if somebody can show us like how hairy you are by like showing your leg or your arms, like we'll give you a prize. And uh, I saw this with my brother, and without a beat, he just mm-hmm. stood up and just took his shirt off and just started walking <laughs> towards the stage like he like it didn't matter. He won, 
and no questions asked. <laughs> uh, and it's not like he's like the hairiest person, but he had the most confidence and he won yeah. that prize hands down. <laughs> I am so appreciative that places still have contests like that. <laughs> like that needs oh, to happen yeah. more often. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, why, does they, why don't they do this at TIFF? I don't understand. Yeah, yeah, be, yeah. Honestly, it would be better than some of the Q&As. <laughs> <laughs> Who here has the most followers on Instagram? Go ahead, anybody. Yeah, that'd be a brawl. I'd be so into that. Um, <laughs> all right, team. We are at favorite moments. We've gotten so many of them, but uh, what else do you guys got? I mean, I, I'll go off of what Mark said. I, I went to that screening where his brother took his shirt off. <laughs> and I, I remembered that uh, that we laughed so much about the brain box thing. And I had forgotten about it. So the minute he's like, ah, you brain box. I, uh, and of course, it's in that funny Italian dubbed uh, English, too. Uh, so that made me laugh. But the best moment is what you were talking about. That when he realizes his scientist friend has died, he <laughs> sadly goes, ah, you brain box. <laughs> it's like, yes. So good. So good. How about oh. you, Mark? Uh, my favorite is still the uh, the Toronto hotel destruction scene. It's like I can't even remember how the Yeti got on the roof, but in the scene, people are in danger in an elevator, and everyone barely escapes except for the girl. And then he has to make his way quickly down the side of the hotel to rescue her. But to do so, he has to kick through every single window on the way down. And it's not like that's just like you see it from the outside a foot going in. They made interiors with various yeah. different people inside different hotel rooms Someone and just have this cared. giant foot kick in. Yeah. Like that's it was <laughs> I can't imagine what that would have been on set like, but that would be so much fun just to see constantly breaking windows with a giant Yeti foot to save the girl. <laughs> so ridiculous. But that's just, yeah, someone totally cared about this movie. They were like, yes, we need to see, you know, what's going on on the inside, what's happening in people's lives that are being interrupted. Yeah. And they have those little projected, I don't know if you saw on the outside while it's climbing, they have little projected loops of people in their hotel rooms as well. It's very Yes. <laughs> yeah. oh, man. Again, the, the effects are like pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah, they they tried 100. Yeah. Um, I think I am I am on record as being incredibly pro background performer. I love watching background performers just really get into stuff, and this is so fantastic for people like staring at the camera and screaming and running away a la Godzilla. That's pretty fantastic. But the Blue Jays stuff, where there's all these kids cheering Yeti Yeti, and they're all holding Blue Jays paraphernalia and like a big Blue Jays welcome back Blue Jays banner and I was like oh man yeah it's it's pretty spectacular I'm really into that and the t-shirts uh that are absolutely vile of the oh, incredibly yeah. beautiful women with the hands on their boobs and on the back it says kiss me yeti yes yeah all those yeti products are so good the one like yeti mania strikes yeah it's I love it. Really remarkable. I love it so much. <laughs> uh, and the old ladies who like have to put their glasses on to marvel at them. I just the background performers, man, because they're real people and they're the best, and I love them. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. All right, kids. That's everything. Mark, what you got to plug these days? Uh, my company's hard at work at making a bunch of Christmas movies for this year, so uh, I'm can't remember where they're playing, but uh, <laughs> be sure to look for the Chesler Perlmutter logo on any Christmas movie you watch. <laughs> there yes. are a bunch 
coming. <laughs> we genuinely loved Mary Mix Up on the show. That was so much fun. And we had so much fun watching it. Thanks for providing us with that. Oh, I'm thrilled. That's my, that is still my favorite one that we've made because the concept is just so crazy. Oh, it's bananas. <laughs> Alicia Witt is now my favorite of the Hallmark Queens. Not going to lie. She's just because she's so weird. And the ones she gets are so <laughs> weird. And it's great. <laughs> oh, I'm glad you liked it. <laughs> Thank you. How about you, Cam? What's up? Keep following me at CamFest on Twitter. I'll probably post most of the stuff I'm up to. And uh, HollywoodSuite.ca is where you can find all of the things that I write and stuff. Beautiful. Woo. And as per usual, you can find me on the Twitters at La Shrimpton. That's the masculine La Shrimpton over there. Uh, we have a Patreon. If you want to support the show and like the stuff we're doing, uh, come on over and check us out. You can find out more information on our website at RCM Pod. Thank you to everyone who has already donated to us. We really appreciate that. And I think that's just about everything. So, brain boxes. Y'all want to get a moose head? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. If you like what we're doing, please remember to rate us and subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcatcher. It helps people find our podcast and Canadian media they love. Come chat with us at RCM Pod on Facebook or on Twitter at RCM Pod. Our theme song is by Craig Stewart and our show art is by Paul Stachniak. Join us next week for another great film from the wilds of Canadian cinema.